Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Budd, only on 640 Toronto. And good evening. Welcome to the show. You are on the road to recovery. I am your driver this evening. My name is Yona Bud, and thank you for joining us on this crummy Saturday night, man. I'm trying to do the best I can to find some some uh, sun in the dark clouds, but it's just crummy. Great, good day to be in bed, snuggled up with your uh, loved one or with your your pooch or your pet, of some sort, and just uh, eating some little bit of junk food, maybe, and having some fun with. Some cocoa, a good movie, and uh, listening to me. That would be a fun thing to do. So thanks for joining us tonight. We know you have choices, and we're glad that you chose us. Uh, you can interact with us, and how you do that is by phoning 416-870-6400, or if you're outside the GTA, 888-225-TALK, 8255. Or you can send us a text here at 647-488-0086. We'd love to hear from you. So, you know, uh, lots to do tonight. We've got a bunch of guests, so uh, strap in, uh, make yourself cozy, and uh, let's uh, get on with it. Um, you know, I was putting a, the, the opening story together, uh, and really I was looking at the, you know, this, the title of the story, Drug Cartels Are Enlisting Kids Through Video Games in Mexico. And, I, you know, I begin to <clears throat> start looking at this, excuse me, begin to start looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, we're looking at Mexico and all kinds of crazy stuff going on with kids there. And then it settled in, you know, it just kind of settled in. And because I am fortunate to have radio space and because they pay me to, to do this and share with you, um, I, I have the opportunity to also vent a little bit. And I, I'd like to do that for the next couple of minutes if, if you'll indulge me. You know, this article is about how drug cartels are accessing kids through video games and doing all kinds of things to win them over so they can become scouts looking for police and neighborhoods when these bad guys are trying to do their their bad stuff and so on, right? So the, the article is about how they're accessing kids and that they're warning families, you know, watch out your, with your children when they go places after they work, play video games or because they're chatting with people in between the games and not during the games. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Forget Mexico. We're doing a really lousy job right here. You know, the articles, the, the, the amount of press that's out there, the amount of stuff that I hear about from families and from, from victims about things that went on, you know, during uh, their time at, at, at Boy Scouts or Girl Guides or, you know, part of a sports team. We're now finding out all kinds of things from professional athletes about the kind of abuse they had to endure um, even after telling people about it, right, that they had to endure in both professional and high-level amateur sports and and uh, world-level sports, world-qualifying qualifi- and competing-level sports. In the schools, we're seeing articles all the time about, you know, this teacher, that teacher uh, involved with a bunch of kids doing all the wrong things, the inappropriate touching and so on. You know, and then, and then you start reading the stories about these, these hidden graves, you know, and it's disgusting. You know, it, it, it really, I find it really sad that as a Canadian, um, that I have to live in a country and stand behind these stories uh, and not at the same time watching the elected officials and those that should be held responsible, somehow held responsible. And I don't mean, you know, say sorry and provide lots of money to lots of people. People need to go to jail. You know, kids need to understand that there are safe places to go, that you can join Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. You can go and join uh, school teams. You can go do, uh, you know, uh, high-level sports or, or just, you know, amateur sports, just fun stuff, house league stuff. 
you know, we tend to drop our kids off and go, wow, you know, they're going to have a really good time. I'm going to go for a for a, a Starbucks with my girlfriends or my buddies or whatever, and go kill uh, go kill an hour and a half while the kids are 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 in the hands of pretty much a complete stranger. I mean, when's the last time you really did a background check on your kid's coach, or your gym, or your daughter or son's gymnastics teacher, or their karate teacher, or in fact any of the teachers at school? When did you, as a parent, ever spend time figuring out who's who and whether they have anything going on in the past? I mean, the world of the internet can find out everything. It's disgusting because we're not doing the right things to support our children. They don't know where to go. We don't know where to send them, frankly, where they're going to be safe. And the only way they're going to be safe is if you're there watching them. Just like this article tells the Mexican parents, you know, watch what your kids are doing if they're playing online. The caution goes on to say, you know, um, they're expanding, you know, the president is expanding his, his reach to, to families and parents to talk about, uh, you know, overdoing, you know, overcoming this, this offer that recruiters are offering kids $396 for half a month's work if they watch over a particular uh, area to make sure police aren't coming. You watch your kids and know what they're doing. Chances are they're not going to get caught up in that. We need to watch our kids when we drop them off for sports. We need to go inside. When they're involved in karate or they're in gymnastics or they're in after school, you know, chess, we need to be close by. So when they leave the classroom, you can see if anything horrific might have happened. You can see it on their face, not days later, but the time. We need to do a better job with mental health support. We need to do a better job in the public schools. I'm dealing with a family right now that has a kid in grade three, and she's being, she, she's being bullied by another kid in grade three. And the kid in grade three that's doing the bullying has already done horrible things like throw blunt instruments and sharp things at other kids and beat up some girls and some boys. And, 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 and all the school says is, you know, this kid is troubled and we're doing what we can to help him. The problem is that the, the, there's victims here. There's this little girl and her friends that are in the same class. And you can't send a kid home from school these days in public school when they do that, even though they're potentially dangerous. And likely this is the kind of kid, if not, if not taken care of and watched carefully and given some form of therapy immediately, if not sooner, probably taken out of school for a while for some special attention in, a, in an environment that can focus on this poor kid's needs because at that age, it's coming from something at home, right? Making sure this kid doesn't come to school and stab somebody. This kind of violence that we're seeing in our public schools, this is third grade, second grade, fourth grade, not just high school where they're shooting one another and killing one another. We'll get to that later in the show when we look at this kind of this past week or so's violence. It's just out of control. We're not a third world country. We're Canadians. We're Trontonians. We're Ontarians. We live in a country where everybody has too much. We live somewhere where everyone has too much. But we don't seem to have enough when it comes to taking care of our kids. Pay attention to them. Tomorrow night is, th- is, is, uh, is um, Halloween. Don't just let them go out on the streets by themselves. I mean, obviously you have to if they're old enough. You got to, you know, but pay attention to what they're doing, where they're going, monitoring them. Make sure they're going to to houses and in neighborhoods that you feel okay about. Make sure that perhaps you're dropping them off and picking them up at the very least. So you see what kind of condition they're in when you drop them off and what kind of condition they're in when you pick them up. I'm a big believer in eyeballing your children so you know what's going on. 
We need to do a better job, not just in Mexico, making sure that our that their children are kept away from the, the cartels and the bad guys being, you know, being leveraged and being uh, persuaded through video games. It's happening here too. That's how kids end up in a bad spot. That's how kids end up going out somewhere and meeting the wrong person and bad things happen because somehow in a chat in one of their video games or one of the things they play, bad guys insert themselves, not just in Mexico, but here too, everywhere in the world. So my dear friends, you're the greatest audience ever. I want to just ask you, just do a little bit better job. Just maybe pay a little more attention. Your neighbor's kids, your own kids, your, your brother's kids, sister's kids. Do the best you can to pay attention, because if you pay attention and look for the signals, we can catch bad things happening before they happen. We can catch frightened kids before something terrible happens. We can deal with the bullies. And, yeah, I think we should help the bullies too, but we just can't forget the victims. When we come back, we, uh, we're going to be joined by uh, our guest here to talk about some horrific stuff uh, being posted in terms of the kind of costumes you should or shouldn't wear on Halloween. So when you come back, I want to hear from you. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. You know, it's uh, it's an interesting time that we live in today. Uh, but, in you know, we have Halloween coming tomorrow. want to make sure that you're very careful to make sure that you know where your kids are going, what they're doing, that they're wearing safe costumes, uh, masking where possible. So if you can build the mask into the costume, it's awesome. There's some really cool masks and stuff out there now that, you know, kind of fit the Halloween thing, the whole Darth Vader thing. Though You know, you can blend it into the scary, uh, scary face, scary teeth, you know, all blended into the mask. So there's some cool things out there to make it a little easier. But, you know, it's okay about when we're talking about going out you know, getting dressed up and all that. But when you knock on the door, there's got to be someone there to give you tricks or treats. And that's really part of what this first half of this segment is about, is, is about the tricks and treats. And there's a lot of Canadians, a lot of people that are saying, uh, parents that are saying they're glad to take their kids out trick-or-treating on Sunday and that there's a survey that says, uh, but not everyone's comfortable uh, opening their doors. Uh, and there's a study that went uh, was done by uh, Ledger and the Association of Canadian Studies found that 90% of respondents, people in the survey, whose kids tricked or treat last year, plan to allow them to go out again this year. But in addition to those who went out last year, there's the executive vice president uh, says that some parents were kept, um, who kept their kids at home may allow them to hit the pavement this year considering the high vaccination rates and so on, right? But despite that increase in the willingness to let your kids go trick-or-treating, the survey found that half, 44% of the people surveyed, say they will not be opening the doors to trick-or-treaters this year. 50, uh, I'm sorry, the other way around. 44% said they will, in fact, open their doors. 56% said they will not open, be handing out candy this year. Half of them said they would typically welcome trick-or-treaters in a normal year. So, there, you know, there are ways to do this. There are ways to hand out candies in a safe way. Number one, you can be wearing a mask. Dress yourself up in a cool costume. Kids love it anyway. Make the experience really good for them, and it, and it, all, it all makes sense, right? So uh, the, the suggestion here is that you can... Uh, hand out candy uh, at a table outside the door so that you could have it set up nicely so each kid could take one, everything obviously in packages, nothing that's not packaged, uh, properly packaged, manufacturer packaged, 
Um, and if anything's damaged, don't put it out clearly. Uh, but you know, you can hand the candy out on a table, uh, dressed up in a costume or not wearing a mask for sure. Wishing the kids, you know, Mary, uh, a happy Halloween. You know, you can scare them if you want a little bit, take pictures of them, you know, do what you can to make them feel special because for them this year needs to be a phenomenal Halloween and it's not going to be unless you're prepared to hand out candy. So, Outside a table, you don't have to open the door, and for sure you don't have to let them come in. It's not necessary. You can be sitting outside, or you can be the table can be with your with you sitting inside with the table in front of you on your porch if you're in that kind of situation. Um, if you live in a building, perhaps get together with a bunch of your co-tenants and have something in the lobby so the kids don't have to go through the building. They can you know all, you can all share a table and everybody chips in. Lots of ways to do this. You also want to think about. You know, what your kids are doing with all the candy they're coming home with. You also want to make sure that you're, you're not, you know, enabling uh, a sugar rush such that they can't go to school the next day because they're so sick on candy, right? So uh, be prepared, please. Open the doors. Give them candy. Don't let them inside, but you can do it outside. Or you can leave a bowl outside unattended. Hopefully, you know, with the, there'll, be, there'll be decent kids in your neighborhood that don't take handfuls at a time, but that's not necessarily your job. Just, you know, be out there. Make sure that you can see what's going on. Say, tell the kids that you really like their costumes. Make them feel special this year. And if you're worried about it coming inside your house, just do it from outside. Um, and, you know, I would suggest healthier snacks if you're able to hand them out, of course. That's what the therapy guy says. You can hand them out things that are healthier for them, like things that are nuts and dried fruit and so on, less sugar perhaps, and maybe a little healthier. Their parents might appreciate it. Here's something I don't appreciate. And we have a guest who's going to join us right now. Her name is Crystal Jones. She's been on before. She's a friend of the show. She's the president of Toronto Beyond the Blue. She, uh, they look after police officers, uh, first responders that are having uh, difficult times uh, mental health and so on. Um, she sent us a, a, a posting here that was uh, that came out, uh, and I'm going to get into this here. Uh, it says other costumes to avoid. And this was posted by an organization called On Canada Project, uh, which launched in 2020. Um, process of transitioning into a sustainable social enterprise. Blah blah blah. Taught to equip millennials and Gen Z with information that allows them to be active participants in public discourse. Uh, they, they're some kind of organization. I don't know. They've got 126,000 followers. Uh, they have 1.5 million unique viewerships and they have 112,000 plus interactions. Uh, they include clients and partners like Lion Publishers, Kids Help Phone, which is really remarkable, UNHCR, which is the UN Refuge Agency of Canada. Uh, they, they claim to have some serious partners. Let me tell you what these, uh, folks posted and we'll get to my guest. Uh, they posted to uh, other costumes to avoid. When you're thinking about what to wear, consider about avoiding the following as well. Costumes depicting victims, survivors, or people facing systemic oppression or violence, such as prisoners, people experiencing homelessness, etc. Watch, listen to this. Costumes. This, costumes depicting perpetrators of violence or oppression to include police, Hitler, Columbus, and Ted Bundy. My guest right now is Crystal Jones. Crystal, welcome to the show. I am so sorry that we have to have this discussion on Halloween Eve. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you, Johan, for giving us this opportunity to really speak on behalf of the families, the police families across Canada that this affects. And um, I know I have mentioned before, we're n- we are not immune to experiencing this kind of treatment. Um, 
when I saw the post, it was, I saw it through a third party who supported it and it was a school. And I was very disappointed because this was dispersed to children and their parents. And there was absolutely zero compassion or even a forethought to consider that perhaps their colleagues are married to someone in law enforcement or or have someone they love in law enforcement or the children that attend the school have a parent or a loved one who they admire in law enforcement. And at what point, you know, can we have a real open and honest discussion about the the divisive, the divisiveness of this topic and how polarizing it is, not only just for white families in law enforcement, but also our families of color that are within law enforcement or some of our um, families who are in our LGBTQ community. At what point do we yeah, have I, to be honest and say yeah, we I, need to come to an understanding? Yeah, I hear you, and I, I hear it in your voice. And uh, in case you're not listening, no, you're, you're not sure what you're tuned into. This is Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. My guest is Crystal Jones, president of Toronto uh, Beyond the Blue. We're talking about a post that says that you should tell your children to avoid costumes that depict perpetrators, and they include people like police, Hitler, Columbus, and Ted Bundy. Um, I'll tell you, you know, when I was a kid. I love dressing up as a cop and a firefighter and an ambulance driver and a bad guy and a pirate and all kinds of things, you know, and it, I, I'm not sure that that was, you know, meant to be uh, socially uh, dis, uh, disrespectful to anybody. But, you know, in the, in the world that I live in, just so we're really clear, uh, I've been a crisis worker for over 40 years. The world that I live in, police are heroes. And to put that next to the name of Hitler, Columbus, Ted Bundy, uh, even and Columbus to be depicted that way as well, you know, I kind of get that too, uh, on a list of, of things that you shouldn't dress your kid up as. Like, I'm with you, man. Uh, uh, Crystal, I, I don't know where this goes. Um, I'm not sure that, you know, I tried to do some deep dive on this organization. This kind of story kind of came to us late, as you know. Uh, but this organization on Canada Project, don't know who they are. I'll find out more um, as we move through the weeks, uh, I'm sure. But um, they got some serious partners like my friends at Kids Help Phone that I can't believe would support such a message. So um, what do you know about these folks and what have you done as an organization uh, to push back in some uh, real way? Um, I have tried to connect with them. They actually ended up taking screenshots of my personal Instagram account and took it to their account and began to make fun of me, which it doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me in that way. But it's just um, I asked for a conversation. I asked to understand on behalf of police families, because not only do I represent Toronto families of police Uh, of the Toronto Police Service, but I also represent them on a national level through Canada Beyond the Blue as the vice president. And when I'm met with childish behavior that is despicable and disgusting, um, it's not forwarding a a mutual understanding of each other's messages and trying to build a bridge to help each other understand um, both sides of a conversation. You know, it, it's one thing to post something so controversial and then, you know, own it and have those conversations and, and actually address me. But 
to do all of these very childish things, um, conduct themselves in very unprofessional way. I just, it, it's, um, it's very disappointing that some of these organizations that I respect partner with something, with this type of um, messaging, which is just very unfortunate and it is very damaging. Well, thank, I want to thank you for joining us and bringing this to our attention. Uh, it's very disheartening, and I can tell you that uh, the, any of these folks from this organization that posted this, uh, any next time that they get their car uh, stolen, hijacked, or get robbed or beaten or something and reach and call 911, they're going to want to hope that someone shows up in that uniform that they don't want their kids to wear for Halloween. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, spinning on a dime, sort of what we call pivoting, I guess, during COVID. Uh, really interesting guests uh, that I'd like to share with you. We'll be back shortly. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey there, welcome back. This is Yona. You are on the road to recovery. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I thank you so much for joining us. You can jump in anytime, 416-870-6400, and we'd be glad to take your calls and talk to you about stuff that interests you, if not the stuff that we're talking about on the show. Uh, I read an article in uh, Toronto Life uh, recently, and it was about two guys, and their names are Paige and Gian. Gian, and uh, they are better known as the... Uh, uh, Megan Brothers, and the these guys since um, you know I like at least twenty years, uh, they're the they were the go to they are the go to people for weddings and bar mitzvahs and sweet sixteens and parties and graduations and you know uh, um, retirement parties anything you know corporate stuff these guys put on an event that is second to none. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, like halftime quality stuff, like from the NFL, like halftime quality stuff, great guests and so on. And, and so I was reading the article about how they, how they, you know, had to manage through their business. And these guys grew up in Toronto um, and, you know, kind of knew them when they were growing up as kids or knew stories about them and so on, you know, grew up in a kind of a, you know, difficult way. Their parents worked really hard, had some hard times when they were, uh, kids were young, uh, father, uh, used to take them to, uh, you know, was involved in the uh, wrestling game, used to take them, they were, they used to sit with, you know, some of the biggest, uh, what he said, what they were saying here, he used to sit on Andre the Giant's lap and hang out with the behemoth, the behemoths like Macho Man George, the Animal Steel, and Hulk Hogan. These guys, you know, built the entertainment business of the uh, last couple of decades uh, based on the experiences and, um, you know, the needs of their family when they were running out of, uh, of, uh, you know, money coming in from dad's business, mom's business, and so on. So they had to go and get and, and start working. So they started doing everything they could, organizing parties and so on. That grew into a major, major business. As a matter of fact, like, you know, when I was, you know, any kid that would have a, a party in my community, I mean, the, the, the Megan brothers, it was, they they were just, that's who you went to. They, they you know, Paige and Gian, they were the guys that put together parties. They had dancers and, you know, crazy stuff. Never dawned on me that all of a sudden this, you know, we're sitting in this pandemic what are they doing? So they're joining us tonight. I have both Paige and Gianni. Thank you both for joining me tonight. Rare to get you on a Saturday night in the old days, that's for sure. <laughs> most definitely. That was probably the most epic, um, you know, introduction that I've ever heard. And I've done a lot of introductions. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I I'm a little older, been at it for a while. No, but you guys are like my heroes in in, in a non like a non uh, teenagey kind of way because all the kids and I work a lot with teenagers that you know in my practice over the forty years and you know you your guys just rock. You know, my granddaughter just came to spend Friday night with us for dinner and she was telling me how the Megan brothers um, they had a Halloween dance party at school, a virtual Halloween dance party at school, and you know it was kind of bizarre. She's nine and just loved it. So first of all, thanks for joining me boys um you know you guys continue to rock and really be superstars in in pretty much everything that you do um the, the story really got to me you know in terms of how you spun this thing around and you know started to to do you know funerals and other kinds of events virtual events and and parties um and now i understand that's grown into like a really big deal uh so kudos to both of you uh i guess when you're down and out though man you got to figure out where to find that next sucker punch right yeah, you, you got to hulk up, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I do want to get back to the Andre the Giant because I met him at an airport once, and he didn't want to talk to me at all. So oh, yeah. uh, I, I'm really happy that you got to sit on his lap. So tell, give me, a, give us a little bit. We're really kind of try to help people out there understand how they can kind of spin on a dime. I hate the word pivot unless you're a basketball player, but uh, how do they kind of how can you spin and do that 180 or 360 and suddenly turn your business into something? Uh, uh, even more spectacular than it was before the pandemic. How, how did sort of give us an idea of how the two of you were staring at each other that time in the living room and going, okay, like, what are we doing next? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's been, first of all, thanks so much for having us. Um, we, we, we had no, you know, you can't, you couldn't, you couldn't bet a, a, your, your life. Even if you had the sports almanac from back to the future too, like you couldn't predict <laughs> yeah. what this was. And, uh, you know, I can I can reflect on it because it was literally, if I look back with clarity, it was literally the lowest point. You know, here everyone's thinking about themselves. You know, the pandemic, everyone's afraid. I remember, you know, my wife was like soaping apples, you know, and soaping oranges, and we had to throw out a knife because, it, like, it was it wasn't clean. My wife, my wife soaped a pineapple. That's how you know. That's what we were like, dealing with. You know, everyone okay. was. Everyone okay, my wife. My wife is still spraying everything. By the way, I just want to jump in there. Okay, carry on. Sorry. You know, so so no one's got time to think about anything other than themselves. And for us, all we did was think about so many other people when it comes to pro- providing joy and happiness, um, and providing you know uh, a, a night to remember. And you know, we we had a we had a, our twentieth year in business. We had a, a, over a thousand events on the books going into twenty twenty, uh, and we had huge plans for for a celebration. And we were. I would say we were living an abundant, you know, life of nonstop, go, 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 party, party, party. We would do 20, 30 events in a weekend sometimes. Uh, yeah. And that was, and that was our version of normal, right? We, we didn't know uh, what, what pause was. Um, so while everyone was in a, somewhat of a catastrophic state, here we are literally on the verge of bankruptcy, literally on the verge of, losing everything and clients all asking for their money back and cancellations. And for some odd reason, I mean, this is the lowest point I've ever had in my career. Yeah. For some odd reason, that lowest point didn't feel that low for us. Mm-hmm. Like, like it was like, I remember it was the second week of the pandemic and I was sitting on a Saturday night, which I knew I should have been working. Uh, I was sitting watching like coming to America with my children and I was eating Doritos and I was just like, I was just like, 
Yeah, but yeah, let me jump in for a second. But you, you guys, when you were kids, when when your when your parents uh, hit some hard times, you know, you you know, like me, I went through that as a kid as well. Uh, was that wasn't that kind of a more difficult time to cope with than what you had to do now as an adult, or was it easier because you had nothing? Well, that was just it. That was just it. As you all let you talk in a minute, but that was just it. Like, you know, that moment that was so bad for us. Well, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't unfamiliar. It was it was another day for us. Meaning, you know, we have moments in our lives that we look back with reflection on it, and our whole lives have been a pandemic, as far as we're concer- concerned. <laughs> you know, we, we 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 struggled, and we, you know, and I always say, you know, in order to taste sweet, you got to taste sour. You know, how, how do you 100%. know what? How do you know what good is if you don't know what bad is, right? And yeah, for for whatever reason, we we took it and. Uh, we again, we hulked up and we said we have no choice. And again, having no choice has been our whole lives. You know, the greatest gift our parents ever gave us was the gift of giving us nothing. You know, um, you know, Gian, Gian is you, you would you would uh, you would obviously echo what Paige says. I know you guys are exceptionally close. Um, you you think this is um, now that you're kind of coming out the other side of this, and I, I understand you're getting bookings back for real stuff and in person stuff. Plus, your virtual business is killing it too. Um, is this you think this has just made you guys stronger for the next twenty years? Yeah, like first of all, I do echo what. Page says, um, "I'm also his ventriloquist, so and he doesn't have his own mind. <laughs> I, I, I send him telepathically everything to say. Um, but essentially, you know, take it in any world that you're in, uh, whether it's business or an injury, uh, and if you're an athlete or uh, some sort of you know natural disaster, you know, to be able to emerge from the rubble, okay." Um, and, you know, yes, just be, you know, financially scathed, right? We got, you know, tremendously, tremendously, we were so on the ropes. It's, it's, it's really, really funny. I felt like we were alley in the 15th round. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no matter what, when you, when you have that stop and yeah. you, reala- you realize you weren't going to pass the emissions test, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you know, this this was this was the battery failing at the same time, and to be able to like you know I keep saying I feel like we've become like Tesla in our own way, you know, like we just that's good. I like that. That's good. You know, like you know, like, the, you know yeah. Go ahead. So uh, we're just because we're having limited time. I don't mean to cut you off. It's the last I've no. talked to you guys. Hopefully, I talked to you guys all night sometime. But um, yeah. the the I want to I want to get to the sort of the what people would say the dark part of the story. But I don't think so. I think it's the bright part of the story. You know, virtual funerals. Um, you know, they're they're you know, unfortunately, I had to attend a whole bunch. But I also attended a whole bunch I would normally not have been able to attend. So, um, you know, the fact that you guys spun that way and were able to provide that kind of solution to, you know, people who were in need of being connected at, at that difficult time in their lives and then the, you know, whatever whatever um, kinds of memorial services and, part, and, and, and gatherings they had after. Um, remarkable way to bring yourself back around at the same time doing good, but also finding your own feet and giving yourselves a little bit of a life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, never in a million years. If you had said in in, in the year 2019, if you had said to me that in the year 2020, I would have gone from, you know, you know, weddings and bar mitzvahs to funerals, you know, I would have said like that was the 
most 100 to 1 odds of all time. Exactly. You know, like, it's just the last thing you could even you could even tell me where I would take it seriously. And so, you know, you can't take anything for granted. And for us to be able to have further purpose, you know, uh, towards the community that's been so good to us, um, we felt we felt it was like it was like an honor, you know, it, 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 and it, it really, it really it is an honor. It, yeah, it, it is an honor. honor absolutely. And so uh, you, you never would have thought. We got a little bit. We only got like a minute or so time. First of all, I'd love to know if you guys will come back some other time and just follow up with you on what cool things are happening. Yeah, but yeah, we got um, uh, for like a corned beef sandwich or something. Yeah, man, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it with video, and we'll just we'll make it into something. Uh, I'm sure we can sell tickets. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but before before I let you go, what's on what's on the horizon for you guys? I I, I know you're going to kill it in 2021, 22. Uh, oh what what God. are some of the exciting things you got on the oh go in God. the last uh, minute or so? Maybe page. Let's let's play ping pong right now so that we. Can can both just okay so it's kinds of events are coming back in small medium and large just everyone's kind of inching their way back but you know they're just different but but like i said it's it's almost like a tesla version of a party right that, that's how we're going to be operating right. so events are going to be a lot more you know purposeful um and um which is exciting page your turn uh, we just became the canadian rights holders to something that is called charity buzz uh, charity buzz is a online platform for experiences um, where you donate towards uh, a cause and you can get the ability to golf with Obama, meet Elton John backstage at this show. If you love Springsteen, catch a a ball by Tom Brady. Cool. I'm in. I want them all. It's the Yankee Stadium. Okay, who do I write the the check to? I want them all. Yeah, that's, so that that's going to be uh, you know we believe you know experiential living. You know, that, that'll that'll be the bar mitzvah. That'll be the bar mitzvah one day. I right? love it. I love it. Um, I love it. We've made we, we've made a video game and now uh, called Meat Sauce Madness. It's on uh, all all platforms, and now we're uh, we're involved with um, a couple of really big um, esports and gaming companies. One is called Wonder Gaming, and one is called Overactive Media, in which nice. we are uh, we are part of uh, we're we're going to be part of a team that is. Um, Going to build a seven thousand person arena uh, at the CNE in the next five years for uh, video game tournaments. Uh, it's going to oh be my God. That you've amazing! Never seen before. We're very excited about that. You keep going. Uh, films. We're doing Jewish documentaries. Um, we're we're just you know spreading our wings and kind of for the first time you know being able to take a breather and be entrepreneurs and um, and reinvent. I'm talking to Paige and Gian, uh, uh, Megan, uh, the Megan boys, and uh, cool guys, real survivors, not just the survivors, but thrivers. Uh, proud to uh, tell them, uh, to call them, uh, I guess, new friends, maybe. And looking yeah. forward to meet, meeting you guys somewhere else another time. Thanks for joining me. We'll definitely have you back. When we come back, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about Internet gaming uh, disorders in college student. Maybe uh, some of the stuff these boys are putting together will be healthier versions of what's out there. So thanks you so much. If you guys, anybody needs a, an event, like a serious event, like you want to put together a serious event, uh, Megan Boys are the guys you need to call. they got a deep team. They're doing a great job. Uh, little kids up to adults. Um, I highly recommend them. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to talk about this uh, internet gaming amongst college students. So uh, hurry back, do what you got to do. Back in a minute, Yona Bud, six forty, Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud only on six forty, Toronto. 
God, I love those guys, man. You should go to one of their parties. It's insane. They do an incredible job, um, and I'm really excited that they were able to join us and that they're doing so well now coming out the other side. Sometimes when you do good, you get good, you know? Anyway, this study examines internet gaming disorder in college students. Like big, you know, not a big secret, but male students were more likely to engage in uh, internet gaming um, and such that because of their not, they're not really at home, right? And of the students who engaged in internet gaming, 59% of them reported withdrawal symptoms when they uh, resolving after six hours of non-use. It indicates that withdrawal symptoms, impatience, anx- anxiousness, difficulty concentrating, fatigue, restlessness, and depression were considered uh, amongst some of them, the gamers felt, when they weren't able to game the way they wanted to. As mental health professionals, we need to pay attention to it. Experts say research continues to paint a more clear picture and so on and so forth. We know, we know that it's just any kind of gaming, gambling, uh, online process addiction kind of thing is just not real good for us, right? As a matter of fact, the World Health Organization actually recognizes a gaming disorder as part of the International Classification of diseases, and they prefer the term disorder to addiction. Okay, well, you know, uh, tomato, tomato, right? Potato, potato, what is that? Something like that. Anyway, difference. What's the difference? Disorder, addiction, same basic thing as it relates to being compulsive and not necessarily good for you if it's getting in the way of the rest of your life. So how do you know that? How do you know when someone that's close to you or you yourself are having a problem and, you know, you're, you're, you're not really um, able to walk away. So gamers experience the rush of neurotransmitter called dopamine when winning, and just like those addicted to gambling, same difference. Right? Dopamine is a brain chemical connected uh, to your obsessions, addictions, which temporarily elevates your moods. Gaming is considered a type of impulse control disorder equivalent to other unmanageable addictions. So gaming, eating, uh, online gambling, you know, anything, drugs, alcohol, it's, when you can't stop doing something that's not good for you, it becomes a problem. The good news is that programs like 12-step, you know, uh, Get Gamblers Anonymous and Smart Recovery for Gamblers, um, they, they, they do work well. So any, any addiction, any obsession, any compulsion, um, there are programs that are you know similar regardless of the substance necessarily, um, but it helps. Um, and, and we found about college students that male and female adults uh, alike play video games roughly at the same rate, about 50% male, 48% female age 18 to 29, uh, approximately 8.5% uh, age 18 eight to 18 pathological issues. Uh, 69% of American young adults 18 to 24 are preoccupied with Internet gaming, and the numbers go on and on and on. The result is over 2 million college students are addicted to gaming in the United States. We don't know exactly what the number is here in Canada, but you can do a subset, and it's probably close to the same. Um, and now with the rise of esports and such, it's even making it more difficult uh, to put the uh, joystick down, so to speak. Uh, so how does it impact you? How does it impact someone in your life or, you know, you if, it's, if you're listening to me and you're paying attention? By the way, if I can help anybody at any point, 877-777-5808. You can call me anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If I'm not able to answer, somebody will and get the message to me. So feel free to give me a call if we can uh, help you at any time. Uh, but lower grades, right? You can see it. We're talking about college students, so impact. you can see it impact. You'll see lower grades, reduced learning time. Uh, you'll notice some financial consequences. Some of these games require month funding. 
So you'll see that some kids don't have enough money left for their meal plans and so on, uh, unless, of course, they're working. Uh, if they're working part-time or even full-time, you don't have any idea if you're not supporting them. But uh, if you are supporting them, you can check, you know, you can keep track of how they're doing with their online spending. Um, relationship issues, you know, no longer being available to their friends and family like they used to, you know, not answering the calls like they used to, not showing up on Sundays for uh, you know, Sunday brunch or lunch or dinner at mums or grandmums like they might have in the past. Lack sleep, lacking of sleep. You know, most gamers, especially if they're college students, are gaming mostly through the night or missing class through the day. Either way, it's not a good thing, right? Serious health issues. If it wasn't sleep, if sleep wasn't badly enough, right? Eating, you know, caffeinated drinks, eating, you know, food, fast food and stuff that's probably not really good for them, right? So, um, you'd be, you know, start worrying about their serious health issues. That, you know, when the, when the players can't stop to eat a meal or stop, even take time to use a bathroom. I know some young people with gaming addiction wear diapers so that they don't have to get up uh, during a game. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about teenagers, you know, 15, 16, 17. Uh, the player readily and honestly uh, admits how much time they spend on the game's video game activities have no effect or a- on academic or professional performance or responsibilities. Um, these are when you know your kids are in good shape, right? The player has no problem with engaging in non-video games. Uh, the player plays video games just to enjoy their life. Uh, the player does not require an increasing amount of time on video games and so on. When it's not good, video games are the direct cause of sleep deprivation. The player will skip their meals, eat while playing, forgo daily tasks, including showering, you know, all the you know, natural things we do take care of ourselves, uh, grooming of any kind. Player lies about how much time they spend. The player's grades start to drop. Player has no longer time to desire to meet with friends and family, like we said. Constantly thinking about video games, buying them, playing them, whatever. Player experiences feelings of withdrawal when not around the video games. So you get that restless leg bouncing up and down, all that kind of stuff. Um, you'll know, right? If your kid's jonesing, as we would say, to play a video game, you'll know. They use video games as an escape from life. You want to be able to drill down and see where that's coming from. Player feels extreme pressure or pleasure or guilt or anger when the video game session doesn't go as planned, so emotionally drives them. Um, Probably not healthy. Player gets angry or annoyed when a video game session is interrupted for some reason or someone walks into the room. You'll notice that they snap. Uh, But there's ways to reset, right? Talk to a therapist, get some help. Um, there are some online uh, gaming uh, sites that people can go to to get support. If you're a family member, uh, there's something called Gaming Detox where you're able to figure out ways to cut it down. Anyway, the lots lots to talk about. There's much more to talk about here than we have time for today. But uh, gaming as a college student or anybody, uh, gaming, gambling, it's a problem. And you need to pay attention to it because it creeps up. It's one of those silent things that robs you when you're least expecting it. When we come back from break, we uh, it's going to be a longer break, so now's a good time if you feel like it. Use the bathroom, get a drink, something uh, soft and cozy to put on if you want, maybe a snack. And when we can come back for the second half of Road to Recovery, we're going to jump into a whole bunch of stuff with another guest and talk about uh, some of the reasons why um, there's uh, death and destruction on our streets in Toronto lately like we've not seen before. Uh, when the experts are now scratching their heads going, wow, we've never seen this before, we know we have a problem. We'll be right back. Yonabud, 640. Toronto. Addiction and mental health are serious issues, and we take them seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Hey there, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. You are on the Road to Recovery. I am Yona Bud, your host, and thanks for being with us tonight. Devon is in the studio along with Corey and trying to provide for you the best experience that we can this evening. Uh, I want to get to a serious story that police are investigating eight separate weekend shootings. This was published uh, last week. 
Um, found a 28-year-old uh, at uh, Finch in York Woods was shot. And then that afternoon, a man in his 20s was shot in a parking lot in North York. At 3 a.m., a 17-year-old boy was in a car when someone in another vehicle shot at him uh, on Highway 27 near Eglinton. Then a woman walked into a hospital at 5 a.m., suffering from serious but non-life-threatening injuries. No one knows where that shooting came from. At 8 a.m., a man believed to be in his 30s was found suffering from serious gunshot wounds at Eglinton and Oakwood. <sighs> wow. Gun violence is a priority for the Toronto Police Service, they say. Later that evening, on Sunday evening, they, the Sunday evening at 8 p.m., police were called to a shooting at St. Jamestown. Another one, a taxi driver, later on in the evening. Um, you know, the mayor, Tory, says, it's an absolute tragedy every time someone in our city is killed. My thoughts are with the family and friends of the shooting victims. I, along with Toronto Police, uh, share a common commitment to keep the city safe, and I thank Chief Rammer and his team for doing the job that they're doing. We must continue to do more work to further reduce <clears throat> gun violence in the city. I have my good, my dear friend, my brother, uh, Louis March from um, Zero Gun Violence Movement is joining me right now. Louis, thanks for joining me. I wish we could find something better to talk about. It will happen one day, Yona. Thanks yeah, for having me right. again. No, my pleasure. So I've seen you on the news. I know our friend Marcel has also been uh, doing some uh, some media uh, throughout the week, and, you know, everyone's scratching their heads, including you and me. We've been at this game a, a long time, uh, been on the streets a long time, both of us. And, um, dude, I, I just, you know, brother, I, I just don't – where do you go with this conversation? I think, I think uh, people are asking, are we shocked? I'm not shocked. This has become normalized now. Uh, it's a crazy type of gun violence that we've never seen before. It's very unpredictable. It's across the city. Innocence, broad daylight, public places, deadly shootings. Uh, this didn't happen overnight, you know. Uh, know. Our response to it has not been where it needs to be to seriously address it. And the longer we take to seriously address it, the more difficult and more complicated it will become. Is it all coming, though, from the systemic stuff that we've been talking about for years together? Is it all coming from the same place? Because it looks to me like <clears throat> the shooter profiles aren't necessarily the same fit as we used to see, which is what's really what's really scary, right? Um, so it's one thing to you know to kind of work and you know provide some substantial change in communities and, and do what we can to support them and so on. But is is that going to be enough to, to curb this gun violence by by planting the seeds or, or you know dealing with the root cause, um, or is this kind of so far out of control now that? You know, we got to find maybe a, a more stringent way to to manage this. Like, how, what's your thinking, and what are the people that you've talked to, the stakeholders that you talk to on a regular basis? What are they saying? It's becoming scary because the type of violence, the people involved. You spoke about the age. It's a different profile. You're talking about uh, the number of shootings. What we've had is. As a matter of fact, the shootings have declined about 20% this year to this time last year, compared to, right? However, the shootings are more deadly. Yeah, they're more loss of life. More loss of life. That's up 10%. So we have to take a look and see what's, what's going on here. 
it's the access to guns, the caliber of guns, handguns versus semi-automatics, the brutality of the shootings, 50 shots by four people, one person taking 20 of them. We've never seen that uh, type of brutality before. We've been working this since 2005 when we had the year of the gun. Right. There used to be, even Marcel will tell you, there used to be codes. Now, it's unpredictable. And when I talk about the crazy gun violence, what, there's not one thing that we can do. The social economics, we can focus on that. But what we're finding now is that people are beginning to wake up. People are beginning to wake up, but they can't work together. They can't work together at the government level. They cannot work together at the community service uh, level. Everybody continues to work in silos. And I keep saying it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, everybody's got one piece. But until we can put those pieces together and connect them, we don't have a fighting chance here. And the longer it takes us to do this, the more difficult and complicated the solution becomes. We can do a lot of work now, and we might interrupt the next generation of violence. But there are things that are in play right now that are resulting from a lot of things we failed doing previously. How do we get our head around, I mean, mean to cut you off, but you know, get limited time. How, how do we get our head around uh, the excessive amount of, of street weapons and the, the destructive nature of the street weapons um, and, you know, and the fact that we now have all recognized, all the experts that are in this field have recognized this is not simply a gang violence issue, maybe quite the contrary. I don't think the gangs would be keen on what's going on here. Uh, we've talked about that too. Uh, so is this now... Is is this now we need to do a better job policing and a better job at the borders or like, what do you, you know, other than going around and doing what you do when gluing, gluing communities and families back together after the destruction, um, you know, is there anything we can do to, to um, prepare our, our, our neighborhoods, prepare the people in the, in those neighborhoods, perhaps something more like a, like a neighborhood watch kind of process like they had in the, in the U S for years, you know, what, what do we need to do to step it up here? To, uh, to make it safe for everyone, me, you, and, you know, my grandchildren, to, to, to go to malls and restaurants and, and neighborhoods where, you know, you don't have to necessarily, quote, unquote, be careful like you used to in the old days. I, I, think, I think that's a, I mean, that's a great question, Yona. We have to do a better job at the borders. How 82% of the guns found at crime scenes are illegal guns smuggled across the border. They're not legal guns. They're illegal guns. So what are we doing at the border? to improve, upgrade, enhance uh, the scrutiny there to get them, to stop them at the border. But then also we've got to ask the second question. How are they getting into the communities? Right. Who are the ones, uh, who are the suppliers? Right. And why are we not focusing there? When young people are still saying it's easier for them to get guns than jobs, that in itself is an indictment against what we're currently doing. This is not, we, this is not the, the society that we want to build. We want to make Toronto safe for all, not only for some. So change has to take place there. Yeah. 
However, it has to be on a more collaborative basis where the feds are working with the provincial people and the city people because it's not only one level of government can do this. That's how complicated the problem has become. When they when you're on t- when you're on TV or, or radio or you know with you know with me kind of it's a more of a of a of a fireside chat. But when you're talking in a more formal setting, when you're talking to the media, what kind of questions are they asking you? What kind of answers are they looking for from you? Um, when you know when we all know you're, you're you know you've got limits to what you're able to provide. What what seems to be the gist of when they engage you in media conversations? What are they looking for from you? I think. The type of questions people are looking for one-off solutions. What can we do now to stop the violence? Uh, they're looking for answers. But I can't give them answers uh, and say, well, this one thing will solve it. It's more complicated. And as I said, the longer we take to get to it, the more difficult it becomes. Right. Uh, so there's no one-off. There's no magic wand. There's no silver bullet. And what we've been saying for some time is that the Band-Aid reactionary solutions are not working. I've noticed that even the policing effort is changing. They're becoming, they're, they're, they're putting more effort into building uh, police community relations. Yes. They, they're yes. doing the Halloween stuff. I'm hearing that they're showing up at these Halloween events at these community centers. And they're not showing up in the aggressive tone as they usually do. They're trying to build that relationship. So what we're seeing now is there has to be a focus on the community itself. And we can talk about investment, uh, whether it's capital investments, whether it's people investment, whether it's economic investment. But the first word in community safety is community. So what do we do now? Because we have to shift from, because community silence encourages community violence. So the community you know, has to really be involved in the solution in a meaningful way. So it has to be policing. I'm going to call it policing plus. So but let me ask you something. Let me ask you something, and it's a controversial conversation that's been had for a bunch of years. Um, take it, take the, the the racial profiling piece away for a moment, if you can. Um, you think the inability for police to, you know, like the, when, like when I grew up and when you first came on the scene, you and I both know when police could could pull people over, um, you know, rightfully, wrongfully, you know, you, you were less likely to carry a, a gun in your belt and it was usually hidden somewhere and you've got to go get it before you actually take it out and shoot it. Um, it wasn't so, you know, it wasn't so brazen like we see today. Do you think maybe we took away too many, um, too many, uh, or, or restricted police officers, perhaps, by too much uh, in terms of this particular piece, and that you know, again, take the profiling piece away, um, that people would be then afraid, like you know, like they were in the days of carrying a gun around because you could be stopped at any point. Where now they don't care because they can't be pulled over. It's not that they can't be pulled over. I think what you're referring to is what's called carding. We have a charter of rights and freedoms that says that you can't over surveil, you cannot stop people based on certain characteristics such as ethnicity and so on. There's a right. charter and, that protects... And I, agree, and I agree with that. But what, what was happening is the police were abusing. They were stopping neighborhoods. We, we know the neighborhoods. We know the numbers. We've got the data to show it, right? They were abusing it. In fact, the amount of stops and carding that was taking place was part of their performance appraisal. This is the reality of what took place. So, yes, we have to take a look at carding, right? Carding wasn't abolished. 
is just that there were more stipulations put on it, requirements. And from that has been put in place, the police are not using it because now they have to report, they have to have reason and purpose for stopping, not just because a group of uh, black kids are hanging out on the mall, right? Yeah, but what if you see a kid, I don't mean to cut you off, we're running out of time. What, do you, what, if, you, you know, what if you see a kid at a mall and uh, there's a bulge in the back of his shirt, you know, and, you, and then you have the whole reluctance of, of pulling them over? You know, like, I, I, you know, we, we need to, obviously we're running out of time, so we need to talk about this some more. No, no, more, no, but, these are good questions because we, have to, we, we can't be afraid to discuss these, uh, the, 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 these concepts that's out there. Of course you can, you can, you can stop that person. Right. But you have to document it, and you have to have reason for doing it. And that means you have to report on it. Whereas before, it was very uh, open-ended. You didn't have to do anything. Right. right. And then if you ask the police, and the numbers support what I'm saying, what, how many crimes were solved because of data that they had collected from these carding and stops, right? right. And not many of them can say any specific cases. Right? right, so it wasn't working. It was intimidating. It was overbearing. It was targeted. It was racist in many ways. So we have to take a look. How can we do that better? Because everybody wants to feel safe when they walk in the city, you know. Whether it's in the mall, whether it's a taxi cab driver, whether it's walking your dog in the morning, we all want to feel safe. So we have to do I a better job of this. I appreciate you joining us as always, Louis, and uh, my, my, my heart goes out to all of the families you need to talk to, and we'll have you back on again and again and again until we come up with a solution. I'm talking to Louis March. He's the founder of uh, Zero Gun Violence Movement and the guy that's in charge, not in charge, he, the guy that's out there uh, looking after our neighborhoods, trying to make sure that uh, people are safe and uh, working with communities to make them safer where possible. When we come back, we're going to talk about this new legislation with the Ontario government. This is Jonah Bud, 640. Toronto. Now, Road to Recovery with Yona Bud continues. Only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back, my dear friends. You're listening to Yona Bud on the Road to Recovery. Thank you for joining us. It's now 1023. Do you know where your children are, your loved ones, or your pets? If you don't, you probably should track them down. If you're having a hard time, call 911 if you think they're really at risk. Or give us a call right here, right now, 416-870-6400, and we'll do what we can to help. You can always reach me anytime, 877-777-5808, and be glad to talk to you uh, and see if I can help in whatever way, um, or give you referrals, references, whatever we can do, give me a call. I'll do what I can. Um, you know, it, it, we're, it's the year of the, year of the employee, really, right? We come out of this pandemic, and employers are now starting to understand the value of their employees. It took us a while. Yeah, I know. Give me your head a shake. Uh, I want to hear from you right now. 416-870-6400. Or if you're calling out, out of the area, 888-225-8255. Um, I want to talk about late-night in emails and text messages from your boss, your employers, your your uh, your team members at work, um, you know, requiring you to get on a on a conference call at ten o'clock at night or on a Sunday morning. So, a lot of that is now gone to the wayside. As a matter of fact, you know, you, you're certainly welcome to do it if you choose to. But the right to disconnect policies are now included in a new labor legislation introduced by our our, our Ontario government. 
uh, Labor Minister Monty McNaughton. He introduced these new rules, and we could see workers turning out, uh, turning on their own office e- email signatures after the scheduled day is done. So they turn out of office uh, message when the day is done, five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever your uh, terms of employment are. The Ontario government's introducing new legislation that would require large employers to put in right to disconnect policies and bar non-compete clauses. So the right to disconnect means you can turn off your equipment and not have to be available to your boss or someone at work during a time that is not, quote, unquote, in office time. Great idea. One of the issues I have with people that I, I treat in therapy is being able to, especially in our outpatient program, we you know see hundreds of people. And, you know, when we when we talk to them, it, it's it's. The biggest issue is the balance, life-work life balance, right? Time for home, times for, in, in some cases, when we're working through substance issues or addiction or mental health issues, time for self-care, time for recovery. Hard to find that when you're being driven uh, to, uh, you know, to be available for work kind of on a 24-hour clock, and especially since the pandemic, you know, people working from home, you're always available, they think, and so on. So this legislation will stop uh, large employers and should stop all employers, frankly. But it says would require employers with 25 or more employees to develop disconnecting from work policies. So I think I think Monty needs to go a little bit further if he's listening. He's the Minister of Labor, Training, and Skills Development. What he needs to do is he needs to introduce the workers Working for Workers Act 2021, but for everyone not just those with 25 employees. What if a guy's got 10 employees? He's going to be grinding them and that's okay? Doesn't make sense. So what it does is it puts the small entrepreneur at risk because he's going to lose his employer, good employees to the people, to, to companies that have this policy in place. So the bill supports uh, people that put uh, that work hard in our province and uh, they put in their good time and when the job is done, the job is done and the day is done, the day is done. So the bill is intended to uh, to make those changes. It's also something here uh, that deals with temporary work agencies, something that we have a big problem uh, within this province, people abusing employees in temporary work structures where they're then hired out to big companies where they avoid all kinds of restrictions, obligations, and responsibilities. Uh, but um, they're, they're, they're looking at it. Monty and his team are looking at it, and they're going to uh, come up with ways to make it a little better for those that are attached to uh, temp agencies and provide them with a little more security and, and support. Um, it's also going to prevent this new this new policy, this new uh, uh, these new uh, legislation will prevent uh, the, uh, people putting together something in an in an employment agreement called a non compete clause, which means if I'm working, let's say I'm working for um, Chorus uh, Global News Radio, and for some reason they let me go or I decide to leave. Oh, that would never happen. This is the greatest organization ever. It's not my first, but this is the greatest organization ever. Um, but if they decide to let me go, whatever, I don't have something called a non-compete agreement, which means I can go to another another broadcaster and uh, hopefully find uh, a place for me and uh, a slot where I can continue to do my work and try to save lives. But there used to be a, a time prior to this legislation still exists, something called a non-compete clause, uh, which restricts people from working in their field. And it's a very tricky way that employers keep you tied to them. And if you're really good at your job, keep you from going to their competitors uh, to, uh, you know, to cause the market uh, market difficulties by doing a better job for them than they would have what you would have done while working for the others. But getting back to the disconnect situation, let, let's look at it therapeutically here for a minute. And let's move past the news piece, right? You got to take time to breathe. So here's what I tell my patients. 
or pretty much anybody who will listen. Okay. If you take your day and you continue, and you, 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 we look at a day, if you've got eight productive hours, okay, maybe nine depending on the day, what you do for a living. So let's call it eight hours of productive time in the day, four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon with a break in between. Start your morning with self-care, good breakfast, bit of a workout if you have the time, maybe a walk, some fresh air, a little bit of meditation, listen to really soft and, and, and mellow music to kind of get you into that mellow state of mind so that by the time you sit down and have a good healthy breakfast, however you make that happen, right? Um, so I think that, you know, what we really need to do is we really need to look at that time that we have in the morning as setting ourselves up for the day. So if you go to work rushed because you're rushing to get your kids to school and you can't get there on time because they wake up late, the rest of your day is going to be crappy, right? Um, someone says uh, here, and someone sent us a message, my opinion, the pandemic really shed light on what it means to be able to spend time for yourself because a lot of people were more productive at home. No commute, no mundane office life, more time focused on getting the job done. It was a great, uh, great text message. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a fact. We now know we can be more productive in less hours. So let's go back to our day, right? You've got this eight-hour day, and you start with good self-care in the morning. Now you put in your, your three and a half, four hours of time in the morning, say three and a half hours of time in the morning. I suggest that, at least what works for me, is I do the stuff in the morning that requires the most concentration. That's maybe when I write reports. That's maybe when we I work with uh, uh, people in uh, in other other ventures I'm involved in. You know, on the kind of the business parts of the things that I do, which isn't really my thing, but I kind of dedicate some time to doing that. Um, not really a business guy, so to speak. So um, you know, I do my more focused stuff in terms of of, of detail focus. Things I need to write. Things I need to I need to um, you know work with right. And then the afternoon into the early evening, I do the I do my therapy. I do therapy with my patients pretty much for five and a half six hours later on through the day. So I work a little longer. I start a little bit later, uh, but it's eight hours of work. And in the afternoon, I'm I'm more focused on doing therapy because I'm not worried about the detail stuff I had to do because I took care of it in the morning. So I think what's important is having time for yourself in the morning, making sure that you have time for yourself in the afternoon, um, in the afternoon. And then, you know, you have lunchtime in between, make sure that's a good 40 to 45 minutes where you can actually concentrate on settling down a little bit, have something nice to eat, listen to some soft music, just chill out from the morning and then go back into the afternoon refresh. When you come home at the end of the day, reset yourself again, maybe a little meditation, maybe a little bit of a workout, chill out, relax, get ready for dinner, have a nice healthy meal. And after work, just spend time with family, friends, or doing what you do to make you happy and make you feel good. Really important to organize your life such that it's balanced, scheduled, routine, and good for you. So, that's what I have to say about disconnecting. I think it's a great idea. Do it anyway, even if they don't let you do it at work. They can't fire you for it. So I think it's something you should put in place, even if your boss doesn't like it. When we come back, we're going to talk about cannabis abuse and abuse and all kinds of psychotic disorders that people are reporting. That's half the story. The other half of the story is, man, these pot shops are on every corner across the street from one another. I don't know how they make a living. Anyway, we'll be right back. Yonabud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. So we're getting a lot of text messages here uh, from people saying that we need to look at carding uh, again, maybe, and look at a better version of something like that. Um, so we're uh, we're going to 
dive into that a little bit later. Uh, thank you for joining me. This is Yona Bud. You are on the road to recovery. We're almost done the show for this evening, and we really appreciate you choosing us. You are the best audience ever, and I love you guys. Uh, can't, we're, we're finding out about cannabis use now that it's been legal for a couple of years. Uh, may increase risk for self-reported psychotic disorders. Uh, according to a study here, the National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions, uh, this was uh, this was published in the American Journal of Psychiatry, um, and it says participants with any uh, any non-medical cannabis use had significantly higher rates of self-reported psychotic disorder between 20, 2012 and twenty thirteen. Participants with frequent use and daily, nearly daily non-medical cannabis had higher rates of self-reported psychotic dis- uh, disorders than than before. Uh, and let's understand what this means. So the word psychosis is used to describe conditions that affect your mind, right? So some loss of contact with reality. Uh, in this way, it's called a psychotic episode, right? So a person's thoughts, perceptions, they're disrupted in some way. Individual may have difficulty understanding what's real and what's not. Uh, they may include uh, include delusions, false beliefs, hallucinations, seeing or hearing things, auditory or visual. Uh, other symptoms include incoherent or nonsensical speech. Uh, people, You'll hear people talking perhaps in a language that's not real. Uh, and having a conversation, behavior that's inappropriate at the time, so that's pretty simple to see. A person in a psychotic episode may also experience depression, anxiety, sleep problems, social withdrawal, lack of motivation, and difficulty functioning overall. And the study goes on to say that the widespread changes related to cannabis in the U.S. in recent years, that researchers noted the importance of investigating whether the prevalence of self-reported psychoses and its link to cannabis use or cannabis use disorder have changed over time. So in the current study, the data is analyzed by 43,000 participants between 2001 and 2002, and then uh, close to through close to 38,000 in 2012-2013. Um, and we're looking at um, information that's kind of, I, I think, somewhat outdated, but um, participants with non-medical use and though even those with medical use uh, had disorders, you know, give you all kinds of percentages. You don't care. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but the problem is that people are using pot uh, recreationally. And if you don't have a stable mental health um, basis to work from, in other words, if you have some issues where perhaps you have levels of anxiety or, you know, uh, abnormal levels of depression or, or uh, paranoia or panic, things like that, Pot's probably not, you know, not all pot is the same. So pot's probably not the easiest thing for you to try, and you might want to try it more carefully little bits at a time before you jump right in and handle a handful of gummies and go, yeah, I can handle this. I smoked when I was a kid. It's not the same. And as you get older, it can impact you differently. So the problem is that we're looking at these uh, these situations with um, people self-reporting psychotic disorders. Uh, we're seeing it in kids. Seeing it with a lot of teenagers, I see it a ton, a ton in my practice as well, my kid practice, teen practice. And, um, you know, kids have been smoking weed since they were 13 at 17. A lot of them, 15, 16, a lot of them are having a real hard time. And some are, you know, becoming, uh, showing schizophrenic tendencies. Some are showing uh, all kinds of bipolar and, and borderline personality types tendencies. Anxiety, depression is like a norm. Uh, withdrawal, you know, form of, of withdrawing from society, all that kind of stuff. So pot isn't the greatest thing for kids, for sure. Probably not a good thing at all. Um, and for adults, we've got to be very careful. Well, so that's my kind of dissertation on being careful around smoking weed and the kind of situations that you have to be careful of and avoiding such that you don't end up end up being one of these people reporting psychotic behaviors, right?
Um, by the way, you also have to be careful where you get your weed from. I've had situations recently. I've had them for over years, but more recently, where people who have smoked marijuana that was uh, laced or dusted, as they say, with uh, fentanyl or other forms of opioids to give it a bit of a buzz. Uh, if it's not such great weed, it looks all crystally and looks great if you spray it a little, dust it a little bit, as they say. Um, so I've had people, young people and older people, smoking you know, a big bong of weed and ending up in the hospital with an opioid overdose or a fentanyl overdose. So, um, by the way, I have a bunch of uh, test strips. I just bought a, a couple of hundred test strips that I'll give away to people if they give me a call at 877-777-5808. It has nothing to do with the show. This is just me doing it on my own. These are fentanyl test strips. You can test your urine or test your drugs, and it gives you instructions on how to use them. I'm glad to send them out to you for free, and there's no obligation, responsibility, or requirement for you to do anything other than send me your information or send me a voicemail message with your information and I'll mail out to you. Um, anyway, so getting back to where we are. So here's the issue. So we're, we're, so we know that weed is not the panacea, not the, 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 you know, the easy street drug that it used to be very, very strong. So many different versions, strains and otherwise, um, you know, some of the THC can be as high as 27 to 31% in, uh, in uh, marijuana, which is very high THC count. Uh, especially if you're not someone who's used to it, right. It can really be, uh, can be overwhelming. So here's what's overwhelming for me. And, you know, kind of getting through the first part of the story to get to this part. There are pot shops on every freaking corner in the city. I'm allowed to say freaking. I know that. Right? On every corner of the city, there are pot shops across the street from each other. People who have saved their money their whole lives, put in for a license, went through crazy hoops and jumps and all kinds of you know, uh, hurdles to get over to open a pot shop only to find that there's two more within three blocks of where you opened up. Like someone's not thinking. And by the way, there's some of them that are pretty close to schools too. So we haven't done a great job of making sure that kids can't go there with fake ID and go get wasted. The problem is for the people that are in the business. And by the way, if you've ever been to an Ontario cannabis shop, uh, for the most part, the the the, the budmasters, the the I don't know what they're called exactly, but the people who are there working absolutely understand their stuff and are genius when it comes to setting people up to try for the first time, or if they're having problems with sleep or pain, giving them the right strains. They're brilliant at what they do. So the problem we have is that they're on every corner. So I don't know how long they're going to last. It'll be, I guess, the, the strong will survive. We're finding major change corporations now with multiple locations everywhere. I assume that they're going to drown out the moms and the pops. Uh, but I prefer the moms and pops if I'm able to support anybody in any business going forward generally. Just kind of guy I am. Hope you do the same. So just be careful with your weed consumption. Uh, if you're eating it, you got to be super, super careful. Um, you know, with a joint, you can always take a couple of puffs and put it down. Uh, if it's a sucker or some form of edible where you can take a little bite at a time, it's probably a better way to, to, to get it into your system. Uh, because when you've eaten too much, you've eaten too much. You can't get it out of your system fast enough. And I know a lot of people who have a really hard time with it and wonder, uh, you know, how, you know what, what the hell happened to them? What did I consume? And, you know, they're surprised that it's a weed edible and it took seven hours to, you know, for it to affect them. They didn't think they got anything from it. So they went to sleep, woke up in the middle of the night, absolutely blasted and had horrible nightmares and withdrawal the next day and all just headaches and every kind of, all kinds of stuff. So please be careful. And uh, choose your uh, choose your neighborhood uh, location if you have a choice because they need your business uh, like uh, your local restaurants and everyone else does as well. 
When we come back, our last segment is, and we want you to call me on this one, okay? It's not something heavy. 416-870-6400. We'll have about 10 minutes to talk. What were the four worst purchases you made during the pandemic? I had to narrow mine down to four. So when we come back, I'm going to share those with you, and I want to hear what you have to say as well. 416-870-6400. Yona Bud, 640, Toronto. Thank you. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey, 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 welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We have a little bit of time left, and we hope you can give us a call here. 416-870-6400. What were the four things that you bought, or just anything that you bought during the pandemic that you kind of scratched your head and go, wow, probably shouldn't have done that. Made a lot, and a lot of people are talking about making mistakes uh, during the pandemic and making purchases. This uh, one fellow, Matt uh, Lillywhite, he wrote, um, he bought airline tickets that never got used. He bought a pair of white jeans, uh, but he didn't get them, I guess, in time to wear. Uh, he wrote, bought a MacBook. It was the wrong one. Uh, and he had a hard time returning it and giving it back. And he spent a bunch of money invested in something called Dogecoin, which is like a cryptocurrency. And that was a choice he made that he wished he hadn't. But you know what? I'll tell you something. During the first, during the really the first eighteen months of the pandemic, I bought everything. I, I, I had I was ordering all kinds of stuff online, uh, mostly from Amazon, um, because I have something to track, right? So I'd order it on a Monday or a Tuesday, and I'd be tracking, tracking, and focusing on when it was going to be delivered. It helped me with my anxiety and my ADD. So it helped me, you know, with things I need to focus in the beginning, especially when <clears throat> I was just getting my feet wet with, you know, video stuff and online activities and so on. But we get to a point, you know, where we start buying stuff because it looks really cool on Facebook. So I bought some gym equipment, for example, that was missing pieces. You know, it looked great in the video. You know, I bought cables, not cables, but like bands, rubber bands that you can pull. So when I was a kid and I was actually in good shape, I was using these spring cables uh, to work out with because you could do them and use them anywhere. And it really gave you an expansion in your chest and your arms, your shoulders. You could do all kinds of things with them. So uh, springs aren't so readily available. I think they were dangerous, frankly. I hurt myself constantly with them. So now you get these bands, these rubber bands, elastics of some sort, stretchy things, different colors for different weight um, uh, resistance, if you will. But a bunch of that stuff, uh, some of it not so great. Uh, bought some clothes, some shoes that didn't fit. Clothes for my wife that uh, would, uh, wouldn't would even fit my granddaughter, who is uh, significantly smaller than her. Uh, shoes that didn't look at all like the ones I bought. Uh, gadgets and gadgets, like all kinds of gadgets and gadgets, things for your, for your, uh, for the house and things that make, uh, make, uh, things that make, you know, your your lives easier and speakers for this. I bought a couple of online speakers, you know, things for my computer and headphones and all, all kinds of stuff. Some of it was great. Some of it wasn't. Uh, but it helped me, frankly. Uh, someone sent in a message here. She went to a shoe store. A guy was selling fancy therapeutic sandals and bought a pair for $300, this uh, writer says. They didn't sit right, and I was so embarrassed to take them back. I keep him. I keep them as a reminder not doing crazy purchases. Uh, thanks, Linda, for that message. Uh, I'll tell you what. I went to buy my father something for father for his birthday, I think, in August. Yeah, I went to a store, and I found something I thought he would really like. It was a jacket. 
and it was, you know, it was in a, in a, in a sports shop and it was a jacket that would keep the rain out and the wind and it was light and it had pockets and just perfect for him. Right. He's got carries his phone and keys and, you know, he still tries to get out every day and get to work and, and do some volunteer stuff. So it would be really nice. So I took it off the counter. I asked her, I asked the person at the counter to please wrap it up for me, put it all in a box. It looked really nice. My son was there with me. We were shopping together, uh, put it in the box and, uh, she rings it up and it was like, I don't know, uh, like 600 bucks. Now it's in the box already, right? It's already wrapped up with the ribbon, the card, everything in the box. I look at this young person who was behind the counter as she's looking at me and how would you like to pay for that credit card or debit card? So, I mean, it wasn't the difference, be- thankfully, uh, not the difference between me eating or not, but I certainly had no intentions of spending $600 on a jacket for my dad, even though it's he's worth it, and I would spend more than that if necessary, but it wasn't my thinking. But I was so embarrassed to say, you know what, that's a little out of my price range. So I get it, Linda, when you don't want to take it back or unwrap it and say, I don't think I can really afford that. Want to hear from you, Six uh, 416-870-6400. Give us a call here right now. What did you buy during the pandemic that when you got it, you gave your head a shake? Uh, I bought a bunch of clothes, like I said, bought some pants, some some leggings uh, for my wife, and uh, they were so small that no one, we could, they like Barbie size. Uh, ordered some microphone covers for my broadcasting equipment, uh, like, um, what do you call them, uh, dust covers, if you will, or, or socks. Uh, they showed up, uh, you know, come seven in a package. They were so small, you could put them on the end of a pencil. Uh, you know, so I you know, I was one for buying, you know, things come up on Facebook or, you know, you see them uh, broadcast through the through the net in some way, shape or form over media, over social media. Uh, you know, I, I kind of was jumping on it. So I would buy stuff just to have it delivered um, and to watch the delivery process throughout the course of two or three days. And it kept me busy. I wasn't focused on being locked down and, and out of everything, right? Um, bought a car, <laughs> sight unseen. Uh, I was already driving an SUV of one, of one uh, already driving the same model SUV. I wanted to upgrade it to uh, the newer model SUV, same, year, uh, same model, same manufacturer, but I wanted a different interior to help with my back. So I was looking for an interior that provided more uh, more positions for the seating and the headrests and uh, thigh support, and lumbar support. So that was a huge upgrade. Uh, bought it, uh, sight unseen, had no idea what the color of the car on the inside was going to be. The dealer told me, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll get something really nice for you. It showed up, and then three months later, uh, that same that same manufacturer is now shutting is now taking orders for that same vehicle two years from now. So the timing was good, but I bought it sight unseen. I would not normally have done that, but it was at a time where people weren't going into car dealerships, you know, and it's not really the kind of thing you buy online, so to speak. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but I trusted the guy. I bought cars from him before. So <clears throat> we were able to make a decision based on trust, and I knew what the vehicle should look like. But anyway, it turned out it was a great car. It is a great car. It has all the things I look for, and the interior is gorgeous. It's not a color I normally would have uh, would have chosen, but it certainly worked out really well. You know, the, the other things we do, you know, I bought a, I bought an electronic um, business card. So this, uh, I forget the name of it. I haven't even activated it yet, but it's an electronic uh, business card. I got the platinum version one, of course, and uh, you load all your data, all your, your contact information onto this thing, and then if someone wants your contact information, they just scan it on their phone, and it automatically uh, imports to their, to their uh, phone book, and that's how, you know, instead of handing out a business card. Really cool. I thought it was a really cool idea. 
I watched it. I, I looked at it. I watched some stuff online about it. I saw, I read some of the reviews. I said, yeah, you know what? That would kind of make me look like I'm with it and kind of, you know, up to date, right? Haven't activated it yet. Not really sure where it is. It cost me 75 bucks. And I tracked that thing for two weeks before it got here. I could hardly wait for it to come. It looks really cool. I've just never used it. You know, I bought a couple of uh, a couple of uh, things for my office, things that I thought would, would would be helpful. And then when you get them here, you know, you try to plug them in and charge them. They don't actually work. And then I found that I plugged something in to charge it, and it was it it came without a battery. So I was charging a rechargeable battery without the battery. Anyway, so I didn't make the greatest purchases, if you will, um, but it certainly kept me busy. Nothing, nothing huge to report that you know would have cost me uh, any you know I, I, something I had to mortgage my life or my house for uh, to to pay for. But uh, certainly uh, impromptu uh, purchases for sure. I'm sure you've all made them. Maybe you just don't want to call me and tell me about them. But you know the the outfit that doesn't fit, and and the thing when buy when you buy certain things now. Because of the pandemic, during the pandemic, during COVID, when you bought certain things like shoes, you can't return them. You used to be able to return them if you didn't wear them outside. Now you can't even return them if you wear them inside to try them on. Certainly had a hard time with the people I tried to do that with. Anyway, we're through it all. I'm able to go to a store now and actually make the wrong purchases in person, which I continue to do. But uh, it's not about me. It's about you. Uh, hope you enjoyed what we had to share tonight. Not so much enjoyed, but hopefully it helped you. It gave you some benefits. You learned some things maybe. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can get a hold of us uh, throughout the week, Road to Recovery at 640toronto.com. Send in any thoughts, information, ideas for a show that you might want to hear, uh, something you want to do, an organization you're involved in, you want to get some airtime and share as long as it's a good organization doing quality work for good people. Um, I'm more than happy to be involved. Nothing political, please. Uh, and love to have you back next weekend to continue to do some more of this. Appreciate you being on the road with us today. We'll see you next Saturday. Have a great week. Be safe out there. Trick-or-treating. Want to hear good stories next week when we ask stories about Halloween. Want to hear good ones, positive ones, nothing too scary. Yoda Bud here, 640 Toronto.